Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Anna Gressel, counsel at Paul Weiss. Paul Weiss, short for Paul Weiss Rifkind Wharton and Garrison LLP, is a law firm based in New York City with over a thousand lawyers on staff. Previously, Anna served as senior associate at DeBovese and Plimpton, which was her role at the time of this interview. She joins us on the program today to discuss the legal exposure and risk posed by AI legislation across the world. Given how many sectors are on the cusp of AI proliferation in the advent of generative AI and large language models, Anna offers advice on the best way for business leaders to start thinking about these problems and the difference in legal exposure between different kinds of organizations. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Anna, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be talking with someone else who loves AI policy as much as I do. Yes, it is not often I can scratch my global policy itch, which is goes back a little bit in my career from my days at the World Policy Institute. But very, very good to be talking today about compliance and risk and how different kinds of organizations expose themselves across the world based on which laws are being passed. Spending today talking about legal exposure and the risk posed by AI legislation in an international review of policies. I think the best way to take this subject from the top down is to ask, how should business leaders start thinking yeah, it's about a, it's these a great problems. question, Matt. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is really the emergence of what we might call an AI technology stack. And that's different with generative AI. So I, I just want to take that, you know, as a step back before we start talking about how are regulators thinking about it. And then really the first question is what are they thinking about regulating and why are they concerned about it? And so, you know, when we think about this technology stack that's beginning to emerge, we, we see everything from the development of foundation models. And so that might be things like GPT-4 or Claude, Bianthropic, other, other large language models, image models, for example. And that's what we might call the foundation layer, foundation model layer of the tech stack. Those models are then often adopted by companies and tweaked and tuned using their own data. And that data tuning might require much less data than the training of the foundation model in the first place, but the data might be more specific. And so those models are tuned for specific purposes or applications and then deployed either by the company that's tuning them or that company might be, you know, licensing that particularized model downstream to a different company. And finally, we have you know, what I would might call the end users. Those are either corporate end users or individuals like you or me using ChatGPT on our phones. And those are the people who are kind of deploying the models in the real world to solve real world problems or create efficiencies. And, you know, the interesting thing that's coming up in the AI regulatory space is a discussion of not only how do we regulate AI, but who should be regulated. And I think that's the newest part of this discussion that we're seeing emerge with a real explosion of interest in generative AI. No longer right. a question of regulating just a model, you know, making sure a model works correctly. It's making sure that this entire tech stack, this entire ecosystem is actually regulated so that the harms are diminished at all different points. And there, there's a huge amount of debate about how to do that, who should be regulated, where really is the point of risk, and how do you regulate around the point of risk. But just to say, 
when we now hear regulators talking about AI regulation, there's always this overlay of who and not just what. Yeah, yeah. And this really changed even from a couple of years ago. There was even staunch disagreement with I'm not going to get into the to the partisan nature of it. But just on the note on that Senate hearing that I think speaks to a real directional change in how this is going to go is you could have closed your eyes during that hearing. And it sounded even from Josh Hawley through Bernie Sanders or to to the left wing of the committee, everybody seemed to be playing from the same playbook and and going more or less towards the same goals. Holly a little bit towards litigation, but there seemed to be broad consensus on the goals of whatever's going to come out of that committee and that they need to act now versus how they went about the development of social media and Web 1.0. And I think this is really in the terror of Web 3.0, which is that not only is the public policy side of things saying that, you know, they want to get involved earlier, but there isn't this much hand wringing about whether or not they should get involved at all. That Rubicon seems to be crossed without getting, you know, even into the just accepting that direction of, of where things going to your point of where public policy is inserting itself, not just the one model, but over the overall ecosystem. I'm also wondering to an extent that, ships have sailed because you watch those hearings and the fear is constantly, oh, we got to do something now before this turns into social media and we have a Facebook that has a grip on all our kids and it's too late to go back and fix algorithms. And I don't even think, yeah, and I know there was a lot of criticism of that analogy in the in the hearings themselves, but just to your point about the overall systems, do you think any ships might have sailed in terms of where public policy can even, or legislation could even be effective at this point in that ecosystem? Yeah, I don't know that I think ships have sailed, but I do think there is an interesting parallel. I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, we're following the mold of social media in any kind of way, because I think the the issues are different. But one similarity or one kind of common theme that I think we would pick up on is that previously we had really seen corporate adoption and oversight of AI. When we were talking about AI, and we and I've been doing this, I guess, to give you some context, I've been doing this since about 2018. And we've, we've been working with big companies on the development of very particular AI applications that were fit for purpose and tested and supervised. And so that supervision was very much in the corporate domain. And yes, individuals were affected. And that was very important. And that was one of the ways in which we were focusing on kind of the responsible deployment of AI was thinking about the effect on individuals. With generative AI, I think there's a different conversation happening, which is what happens when you put the models in individual hands and what, if anything, needs to be different about the way that that risk is mitigated when you have models that are really out there in the world and and potentially not even just models, but text generated or or media generated from those models, agents generated using those models that can take action in the world, cybersecurity risk potentially by malicious actors who were leveraging those models. And so there, there are these bigger questions about how to govern at a societal level models outside of the corporate context. And that's a different overlay and a different regulatory question when you're really looking at individual action or malfeasance rather than corporate deployment of technologies within a kind of a governed risk-oriented context. And and there's a lot of, I mean, particularly in financial services, we have a long history of model risk being managed. And so I think regulators 
able to borrow from those concepts, take those concepts and apply them differently to new technologies. That's a that's a process that regulators are familiar with, and, and there can be criticisms of that, but they're very willing to do it. When we talk about, I think, individual action using very powerful models, that's a, it's a different frame. I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from these days. Yes, and that that I think seemed to be what Sam Altman's been ram, ramming home to an extent in the hearings, almost more more so elsewhere in his public appearances, which is that you know th- this is still pretty open ended technology. You're going to be seeing this much more in the hands of everyday people than just sequestered into moats for individual companies. You know, I, I, I know we're going to talk a little bit about large language models into these next couple of episodes, but something we've been talking a lot about on the show is on the horizon, maybe maybe much closer than the horizon at this point, but we're going to see an emerging market of bespoke large language models for every individual company. And there's going to be a lot of like individual function of this technology as well. And I think you articulated that well in your last answer. I guess that's where I want to start asking about how should different kinds of companies look at their level of exposure? Let's start with the multinationals. Let's let's start with enterprise leaders from the big logos. They they absolutely listen to the show, and we'll work our way down. But I imagine you know that's that's where they're. Uh, those are the folks that are thinking about you know the big EU law, laws that come out. They're paying attention to the White House memo that came out in October. The big swaths of you know the privacy laws that we see will open them up to the most exposure. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think all eyes are on the EU right now with EU AI. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we're currently recording this, I know it'll probably be put out a little bit later. We're seeing the European Parliament go through its part of uh, its kind of ownership of the process at the moment with the updating of their draft of the EU AI Act. And it just recently passed out of two committees with some pretty significant amendments. And we're going to see them kind of finalize that soon and then move in the summer into the trilogue part of that process, which means really kind of hammering out the final negotiations on the EU AI Act. That is very significant because this is a law that is not only kind of cross-sectoral, but very much risk-based and risk-tiered in terms of how it applies to AI with very significant penalties for violations of its fairly onerous provisions. And so at a high level, you can think about the way the EUAI Act operates as segregating risk into a few different tiers. At the very, very top tier are certain uses that would be prohibited. Those are things like social scoring, which is, you know, and certain kind of biometric uses of biometrics, for example, for surveillance. There's a lot of debate about how that could look in the final draft, but some of those may end up being in the prohibited use bucket. There is also higher risk AI uses, and those are those kinds of higher risk AI use cases are going to be subject to both pre-market you know, certification and risk management obligations, as well as post-market, so post-deployment monitoring, observation, potentially even recall obligations. So if your model is doing something that it wasn't anticipated to do is and in, in a way that's causing harm, then that might need to be pulled off the market. And so we're, you know, it's a it's a much more holistic regime than you know what we have in the US other than from some sectoral regulators like banking regulators, for example. And so the right. EU is is likely to be a game changer in the same way that the GDPR was for privacy. The EU is really setting the tone for what 
AI regulation on a cross-sectoral basis looks like. And we, we've seen actually some of these themes be picked up in other regulatory proposals, for example, in Canada, Brazil, not yet in the U.S., although, you know, there are echoes of that, I would say, even in the way that regulators are talking in the U.S. at the at the moment, you know, looking to this kind of yeah. based approach. But the EU is where all eyes are. And certainly, you know, within a few years, it's likely to be the case that companies really have built up, will have built up their compliance and governance to match the obligations and to be able to satisfy the obligations under the UAI Act. Absolutely. I think privacy overall, this has been continuing since like just about 2019 in terms of the EU leading the way on a lot of these kind of electronic rights issues. I think overall that kind of points to the fact that we're you know, we've become a much more multipolar world in terms of a lot of areas of, of global policy over the last five to 10 years. Absolutely. Even if it's this is, as you noted, we're moving in one direction. The, the U.S. looks like it's largely going to follow in many ways what the EU has started. All at the same time, just pointing to the fact that there is a dispersion depending on where you are in the world in terms of your exposure. I'm wondering also if there's a certain risk going into the future for companies operating, you know, per region, you know, outside of the EU and the US, where there are blocks that are now considering, you know, AI. I know China has a lot of AI initiatives. They don't seem like they have a ton in the way of emerging regulations or telling a lot of companies that operate there how they can use AI, except for maybe, a, of course, a, a censorship standpoint. Am I wrong about that? Well, interestingly, China actually, I would say, was out there before most other regulators. And this is and I and I would say that I don't advise on Chinese law, but just from an observational perspective, China has put out regulations, for example, on deep fake technologies. They just put out a regulation on generative AI that includes some interesting provisions, for example, around testing for cybersecurity robustness, because, of course, folks are worried that the models themselves might be subject to interference by malicious actors. And so, you know, I think China's an interesting one where they're they're out there thinking about this and trying to age from their own perspective, from their own regulatory grounding in a discussion on this. But they wouldn't I wouldn't even say that they're the only ones. We're really seeing a number of different jurisdictions. I mean, Singapore has been active historically in in AI governance efforts in a very, I would say, collaborative posture with industry. We recently saw, I think, Vietnam proposed an AI regulation, you know, whether that goes anywhere, who knows, but yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's, it's an area where I think there's a lot of opportunity for global regulators. And we do actually track kind of globally what's happening on the regulatory front. It's a place where global regulators are asking what kind of part do we want to have in this conversation? And do we want to, you know, is it competitive for us to have a, reg, you know, a regulatory regime? Do we want to think about doing that in a way to make sure that we're mm -hmm. keeping pace or is it better for us to wait and see what happens, for example, with the EU and, you know, maybe adopt something similar to that? So it's an it's a very interesting moment. And I think, yeah, as we see the use cases explode and as you mentioned, as the geopolitics of adoption come to the fore, we may also see new regulatory hooks come up as dealing right. with that. 
And not just for entering, you know, geopolitics for the sake of it, but it does change your exposure. I mean, this sounds so similar to almost global taxes at this point and or other forms of compliance. But, you know, it changes your exposure if you're only operating in the EU. Yes, this is something you need to worry about right now. If you only operate in the US, you need to be looking at what's going on in the EU. But this hasn't quite touched you yet. Just just respectively for a lot of segments for our audience, of course, we touched on in that answer how a lot of regulators are reacting to generative AI. And I think that's indicative of, especially of a technology that's going to be in everybody's hands. This won't be, you know, cloistered into, you know, the parts of management within or just business leaders, of course. Everybody's going to have access to this. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And so for businesses that are beginning to think about this, you know, we're seeing them really thinking through a number of different risks, again, because the individual use is so high. And that might mean, use of their customers, but it also might honestly mean use by their employees, right? Everyone's thinking right now, how do we put tools into our employees' hands to make them more productive? Should we be doing this? And what are the risks to our company? And so, you know, just I think it helps to break this down and give a little bit of a rubric. And then of course, you know, with the standard disclaimers isn't legal advice, you know, we do tend to see companies asking a number of very important questions. On the input side, we see companies asking, what is the risk of putting data into the models? For example, as prompts, is that going to be confidential or proprietary information that we really should be kind of holding close to the vest because it contains trade secrets or product information that we're not ready to release to the market or material non-public information? What happens if we actually use that information or an employee of ours uses that information as a prompt? Could someone else see it? Someone at the developer for, for example, the developer for the foundation model? Or could someone see that if that then was used to train the model and it became an output to someone else in a completely different company? Is there you know, a way that that exposes us to some legal risk or risk that our trade secrets won't still be protected? What if that contains sensitive health information or employee information or personal identifiable information about our customers? Could that give rise to some sort of risk that that information could be made public? And so that's really on the input side. You know, I think we're fortunately seeing a lot of movement around that as as folks are beginning to recognize that as a risk and technical solutions being devised to try to take that risk level down and mitigate and put some technical guardrails in place to make sure that information doesn't go out there. But there's also, you know, the importance of training employees and having the right policies in place and the right procedures because they may not realize that what they're doing is risky for the company. And so really, it's about raising the level of employee education overall and making sure that they understand why it's so important to understand the policies of the company and respect those. On the output side, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the main risks we're seeing right now around generative AI is just that the models may come up with answers that contain information that is not accurate, what we might call hallucinations or erroneous outputs. That information, if I'm a lawyer, for example, I can ask, can you provide a legal argument and support it with cases? Those cases may not actually exist in real life. And so if I went to look for it, I wouldn't find anything, a citation I'm getting from the model. That kind of erroneous information can expose the company to risk, for example, if that information is then relied upon to make a consequential decision or decision in an area that is highly regulated. There's also discrimination risk in the same way there is for all AI models. 
potential risk if you're using it, for example, in the U.S., in a context that might implicate housing, employment, education, other areas covered by certain kinds of civil rights laws, lending, for example, that a discriminatory effect from the model could give rise to some sort of liability under those laws. But really, I mean, I would say at a high level, there are a number of different regulations that might cut into the use of AI depending on the use case. And so really for companies, it's critical for them to understand what is the regulatory and legal overlay here? And are we thinking about this as we're coming up with policies around, you know, who can use these models? What can they be tested for? And when will we know when they're ready to be deployed and they're mature enough to actually go out and be put in use by the company? Right. This comparison has been made elsewhere in the in the mainstream media. I claim I claim no originality in this thought, but it, it does seem parallel to the beginnings of Web 1.0 back in the late 90s of we're waiting not only for the regulations to catch up, but also to see what technical fixes might be out there already that don't need the regulatory compliance or at least the compliance effort, you know, on the side of of the private sector. That's all very, very, very interesting. Where do you, especially in these areas of risk, like you were describing in terms of, you know, putting data into a large language model prompt in the potential risk there, what should business leaders be looking for in terms of seeing that dust settle and being able to form company policies that will be effective and more long-term? Because it doesn't sound like they can make long-term policies at this point. It's still very much wait and see. Do I have that right? Yeah. And in fact, I think sometimes it's, you know, the policy is important in terms of clear communication to employees about what is expected of them. But from a corporate governance perspective, much of what we're actually seeing is a desire by organizations, not necessarily to deploy these models at a, at a wide scale amongst their entire employee population, but really to, to figure out who are the right people to be testing these use cases and how do we draw you know, a line around that or create some safe sandbox where they can be tested and those lessons can come out. Because as you mentioned, you know, the technology, both the opportunities, but also the offerings are really expanding at a fast clip. And so the kinds of applications on the market in six months or a year from now are going to be very different than what is out there today. And I think, you know, what companies are and should be indexing on is a group of people to say, okay, you know, where is the business opportunity for us? Should we be doing this ourselves or should we be, you know, licensing or procuring some sort of model that is already pre-trained to do this task maybe better than what than what we could do in-house? And then in the long run, or in the short run and the long run, what kinds of levers do we have to take the risk level down? Does that mean, you know, using them internally subject to supervision? Does that mean working with a vendor to make sure that the right contractual provisions are in place so that we know exactly what we're getting and we can kind of mitigate that risk using the tools they are beginning to make available. I mean, there are a lot of different levers here. And for companies, it's really about creating, again, that that safe sandbox to play in while they figure it out and while the market matures. Indeed, indeed. And I think this episode will help them get there. Anna, thank you so much for being with us for this first episode. Very much looking forward to talking to you more about the impact of this technology on on the legal profession writ large. Likewise, Matt.
And in wrapping up today's episode, I know Anna really leveled into the specific challenge that hallucinations and misinformation when it comes to generative AI and large language models means, particularly for corporations and their legal exposure across the world. We've been having a lot of conversations, obviously, about this across sectors. And I think for certain sectors, healthcare comes to mind, the legal sector close behind, financial services after that. There is a sense that these technologies are a bit too raw and a bit untested for such regulated industries, especially where there is a direct exposure to harm. Let's just say at healthcare, there's a lot on the line in terms of patients. They are just not customers as we've as we've covered many times on this program. I think what we're going to see over the next few years is not just best practices for being able to experiment and fully flesh out these AI capabilities in a safe way doesn't open up all kinds of businesses to legal risk. Also, unforetold consequences outside of legal ramifications, of course. I think you're going to start to see even a lot of vendors be able to offer services specifically in testing full-fledged AI capabilities in an insulated way that will set a lot of these sectors at ease. This isn't quite a thing yet. This is something, at least in our conversations, upcoming on the podcast. (laughs) I'm, of course, listening to this episode a month or two after we recorded it to review for this final synopsis. But in the time since, I think this has already moved from a concern that is in the legal profession and in the healthcare sector to something that I think a lot of corporations are going to be building specific processes for. This is going to be boiled down to a science. And then after it's a science, it's going to become a market, a vendor market. I I strongly feel that's just my opinion. I'll even separate that from Emerge. (laughs) Don't hold Emerge on the line for that. This is just something, especially as a podcast host and journalist and someone who's covering this space off. And I think that's the trajectory where we're going. And I think that speaks to how fast things are moving. We did not have this conversation too long before I, I started recording this outro and already we've seen things move that fast and I think that seems to be the way all things are going for generative AI and large language models on behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast